This past week, we began a different series. We called it, You Have Heard It Was Said. We're going to be going through parts of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus himself says, You have heard it was said to men of old, or you have heard it was said. And really what Jesus does is he takes whatever statement he says next, the statement that was common to the people because it was taught by all the rabbis, and he tries to go down to the root and to the heart of whatever that teaching would be. Last week, it was, it was to the root of the commandment of murder, do not murder. And Jesus said, essentially, there's more than one way to murder somebody. We're familiar with the concept of blunt force trauma, but we need to familiarize ourselves with sharply expressed trauma. Trauma that comes out of our mouth and into our thoughts that have the same heart of murder itself, both of those arising out of anger and vindictiveness and maybe even retribution. Today we, we move along to another passage of Scripture where Jesus does the same things. He, he comes to show us the heart of the matter in another commandment. And so we're going to head to Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 27. That's page, I think, somewhere around 786 in the Black Bibles. Students, if you brought yours, page 1177. So hear these words. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for you to your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and, uh, and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And we continue verse 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. It's a fun one. Fun one for today. Once again, Jesus says these words, you have heard it was said, centering around the command uh, of, of Moses that God gave Moses. Uh, I'm going to need some help. I forgot the clicker. And it's found in Exodus 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. This is a commandment that the rabbis would teach on and that people were familiar with. And it centers around the idea of the covenant of marriage. You know, whenever I perform, thanks Steve, whenever I perform marriage ceremonies, maybe some of you have been at them, we, we stand up here or wherever we are and there's a moment where we talk about what marriage is. And, and is marriage a contract or is 
marriage a covenant, you see, with, with contracts, I, could, I can be corrected by any of the lawyers in here, sometimes there ends up being loopholes that people do to, to try to get out or try to make the contract for their benefit. They, they do something that's, there's something supposed to be in that contract, and they, they do what they can to sidestep it, to, to kind of do it, but, but not really fulfill what the contract actually says. And to give an example of this, uh, there's a retired professional football player. His name's Marshawn Lynch. And he was a running back for the Bills, and then he was a running back also for Seattle and I think for the Raiders. And it was in his contract when he was with Seattle that he needed to talk to the media for at least a minute, I think is what it was. So I'm going to give an example of how he talked to the media for a minute, if we can play that video. Let's start it over. Hey, I'm just here so I don't get fined, so y'all can sit here and ask me all the questions y'all want to. I'm going to answer with the same answer, so y'all can shoot if y'all please. I'm here so I won't get fined. 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 We won't make you sit through all one minute and 44 seconds or one minute and 22 seconds of that video, but you get the idea in his contract that stipulated that he needed to talk to the media and, and so he talked to the media. He said that same phrase, I think it counted 29 times in his one minute conversation with the media. Contracts. Marriage is, is not a contract where you're fulfilling obligations like Marshawn was fulfilling the obligation of talking to the media for a minute. Uh, marriage isn't a contract in which you try to find loopholes to find the easiest thing or a way to sidestep a task. Uh, my least favorite task, everybody here, uh, folding laundry. And if you have five kids or you've had a bunch, of a bunch of kids and you try to fold their laundry and it gets mixed together and then you're trying to remember whose clothes belong to who because you're the people that pass clothes down to kids and, man, it becomes a chore. But marriage is not a way to sidestep responsibility or care for one another. That's why I folded kids' laundry yesterday, right? Marriage is this covenantal relationship. And the way we see marriage working best is if we follow the example of the covenant that we know best. And, and that is Christ's covenant through his blood, which has given us freedom. We think about that. Jesus gave up of himself going through the hard thing that was to, to be on the cross, going through the unimaginable thing by being hung there by nails, is so that the covenant would become into existence and that we, his covenant people, would experience his love. So we would experience his sacrificial, never-ending, never-stopping, never-giving-up, always-and-forever love. And so we, in, in, in marriage relationships, then, are to 
emulate and mirror Jesus' love for us. It's, it's where we sacrifice of ourselves doing the hard thing of folding five kids' laundry. That's a really low bar example, by the way. We do the hard thing, giving up whatever it is necessary for our love, sacrificial love of our spouse. Sacrificing self for the sake of another. That's what true love looks like, and and that's what marriage looks like. At least that's what God intended, right? That's what God intended. But if we go back into the pages of Scripture— what we find is that Israel and even the other people that God called before the nation of Israel was really a, a thing, uh, we, we don't find the faithfulness of covenantal love in marriage, really. Uh, if you go back, there's this guy named Lamech. He's got two wives, Abraham. He's called out of the land of Ur, to, and he's going to be the uh, create this great nation, a chosen people, right? There's this big promise to, to Abram. Well, he's married to Sarah, but he has a child with Hagar. Jacob. Jacob wanted to be married to Rebekah, but he got married to Leah, and so then he worked more for, uh, for Rebekah's father so he could also be married to Rebekah. Hannah, who gives birth to Samuel, was actually one of two wives of um, I forget what his name is, and it's hard to pronounce, so we won't go there. Then you have Solomon, King David's son. He had 700 wives and like 1,300 concubines. Not really a picture of covenant faithfulness of marriage as we see it. As we move closer to the time where Jesus was preaching this message, people began to start kind of looking the other way. Marriage became this contract with stipulations, and depending on your gender, you each had a different contract. One of the things that began to happen is that men were allowed to be unfaithful to their wives, just as long as that other woman that they were unfaithful with wasn't married. Men were not held up to the standard of, of purity and covenant love that God had set forth. People were looking the other way when men would behave in that way, but they would not look the other way if, the wife or a woman would. This passage we read, Jesus concerned with covenant marriage because it was turned into this contract. Depending on what teaching of or the rabbi you would, would follow, uh, the concept of divorce was being twisted. Um, depending on who you followed, some rabbis would, would allow divorce for some type of indecency. Uh, and even all the way to spoiling one's dinner. Some contract that they could just get rid of, give them a piece of paper and move on. Jesus concerned with this because he's concerned about the 
the heart of marriage and, and, and the, the focus on covenant marriage. And, and he says it kind of comes back to this word adultery. We see it here in Matthew. We'll go to back to, uh, i got to turn it on first. Uh, Matthew 28. Matthew 5, verse 28, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery within his own heart. Just like last week, Jesus is preaching essentially a similar concept. It's the heart and it's the mind that end up uh, driving the body into the way that we live. It's our our thoughts and the way we speak that will determine a course of action for our moments and for our days. And, and the reality is that lust here in this passage is no different than the anger that we talked about last week. Frederick Bruner, a, comment, uh, a commenter on this passage, says, Lust is like anger in that it seeks power over another person. He continues, both anger and lust put other people down by seemingly opposite emotions, one by hatred and one by desire. But the emotions of anger and lustful desire unite in egotism, the enjoyment of power over other people. Lust and anger were familiar concepts in the day that Jesus was preaching this sermon on the mount. In fact, there was Ares, the god of war that you could say would be also the god of anger. And you had Aphrodite, who was the god of love, or really partly lust. These concepts were familiar to the people, and Jesus here in back-to-back sections on the Sermon on the Mount, he attacks their understanding of what anger is, and he attacks their understanding of what lust is. I think perhaps maybe we'd have a question, well, in this passage, what does the word look actually mean? looks lustfully. This isn't some passing glance. This isn't the way we look at one another, perhaps when we talk. It's likely not the way someone looks at you and says, hey, you wore a nice suit today. Or, they don't say that to me. Uh, You wore a nice tie. Hey, those are nice pants, nice shoes, nice shirt. It's likely not the way someone looks at you or me when those words come out of their mouth. Instead, what Jesus is really talking about, and and maybe the better way to translate that word would be staring. Or or maybe it would be a, a prolonged viewing. Or maybe it would be a visually undressing with the eyes type looking. A looking at someone in 
in order to have power over them in some type of situation, but also to elicit certain feelings within yourself. In our culture, lustful looking, prolonged viewing, it's often hidden, right? But I don't think it actually always is. Our culture has often began to, to increase and emphasize the idea that sex and, and lust are equivalent with love. Culture has normalized sex within TV shows. Long gone are all the days where the, I Love Lucy, where what, Lucy and, and Ricardo, Rico, what's his name? Ricky, had two separate beds. I think there was one show where they shared the same bed. Long gone are those days because we've we've normalized we've normalized it. How many shows do we see now where it shows people in bed together? Whether they're married or unmarried and and honestly depending on the networks that we watch if if you're watching you know, your general Fox and so on, it, maybe it'll be a bit more tame, but Netflix and HBO and Cinemax and Showtime and have started to allow a little bit more, or maybe we would say a little bit less clothing. Sex has become this thing that we have seen that is a way to express love outside of marriage rather than a way to express love inside of marriage, which was its created order. I think culture has also increased or decreased our understanding of love by shows like The Bachelor and Bachelorette, and I'm not condemning any of you if you've watched that. Shows where you see people competing with another for the love of someone. Willing to go certain distances, maybe beyond certain distances, just so they can get a rose and continue the pursuit of this person. It would be one thing if our understanding of sex and lust stopped at TV shows. But unfortunately, our culture has a way of devaluing people even further. Ripping out the image of God in someone and turning people into objects of obsession and objects for viewing. Our untamed lust in our culture has even turned children into objects of infatuation when love works to create power over people by, by the abduction and humic, human trafficking of children and young people, forcing them to be in situations that they would not want to be in, forcing them to participate in acts of pornography and creating videos and creating pictures for others to obsess over an object. There's data that shows 
our culture's consumption of pornography has also increased the amount of human trafficking within the United States. Continued devaluing of people, of children of God, for the desire to have power over them. I apologize for those visiting the church for the first time. Um, this isn't usually the way things are, but when we find it in Scripture, we have to call it out, don't we? I think lust has crept into to homes and schools even. About four years ago, the New York Times needed to publish an article with this title, Teens, Stop Asking for Nude Photos. Can you imagine this concept of sexting, sending nude photos of oneself to another individual? And what Jesus says in the face of our culture and and, and in the face of the culture of that particular day is that lust is not love. Sex is not love. Lust is unfaithfulness towards your spouse. Lust is unfaithfulness towards your future spouse. Love is unfaithfulness and a minimizing of God's image in the person who is the object of that lust. And of that looking, it devalues treating people as objects to be viewed to fulfill perceived desires and needs. And Jesus tells us what to do exactly with this. He, he's pretty graphic, actually. He says, if you're a right eye, if, if, if you are someone who's stuck in this prolonged, lustful looking, if your right eye causes you to stumble, well, you should gouge it out and throw it away. And, and he continues, if your right hand or left hand causes you to stumble, well, you should cut it off and throw it away because it's better for you to be limping into, no, uh, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than have all of your body be thrown into hell. And I want to say, don't gouge your eye out. And don't cut off your hand. This is, it, oftentimes we say it's the simple reading of Scripture that is the, the, the most truthful. Well, this is a figurative image that Jesus gives. And it's a figurative image because of, of, of the, the far depths that it goes. He says, if, if sin is in your life, do whatever you can to cut it out. Don't put yourself in situations where you're going to treat people as objects. Don't put yourself in positions where unfaithfulness will arise. Just before these sections in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. God desires that we ruthlessly rip these things out that last week it was the ripping out of the anger, ripping out of, of the vindictiveness, lipping, lip, uh, ripping out of, of the, the evil that was in our mind that would lead to murder. Today it is a, a ripping out of that lustful looking in our life. If something causes us 
just a shred of unfaithfulness within our life, cut it out and, and find a way to avoid it. As, as God, or as you, you go through your, your life and, and you get into a situation where, where you're concerned, well, that's an opportunity for you to ask God to take that situation from you and, and provide a, a way out. He asks us to, to not go down paths that, that lead us to these things, not only for our benefit, not only for the benefit of our, our spouse or our, our future spouse, but for the benefit of the individual on the other side of the screen. The Heidelberg Catechism, we've been looking at this a little bit. Um, we're going to look at question and answer 108 and 109. What does the seventh commandment teach us? That's the commandment against adultery. God condemns all unchastity and that therefore we should thoroughly detest it, live decent and chaste lives within or outside the holy state of marriage. So it ma doesn't matter if you're married or doesn't matter if you're not. We can live an unchaste life within marriage and we can live an unchaste life, a life of unfaithfulness outside of marriage. And then it continues does God in this commandment forbid only such scandalous sins as adultery? And this is an interesting example. We are temples of the Spirit, body and soul, and God wants both to be kept clean and holy. That is why God forbids adultery. It's something that extends into our very being as someone who is created in the image of God as someone who is, is, uh, is redeemed by Christ and, and granted as a new creation, as someone who is now the temple of God with the Holy Spirit living in our life. It's not just the actions that matter, but it's those, those thoughts and those things we see and those things that we think about way before we act that are, are underneath the power and the guidance of the Spirit. And so we're supposed to take decisive action to, to rid any bad habits. If there's anything among us that would be along these lines, we're supposed to detest it. We're supposed to detest pornography in the form of, of videos and pictures. We're supposed to detest uh, children being abducted and used as sex slaves. We're supposed to detest everything that paves the way for any of these things to survive in our life. And just a Band-Aid wouldn't do it. That's why it has to be ripped out. When we think about that graphic image, we think that Cutting off my arm would hurt a lot, wouldn't it? And oftentimes, when there's sin in our life that we're so used to sticking with, whether it's this one or another one, there's an aspect of hurt that you experience when you rip that thing out. Because... When, you, when you're in that moment, when you're in those days or those times, you, 
you certainly feel that you can't live in a way that is different. There would be pain and continued temptation towards that. There would be constant thinking. And then there would be the shame. The shame of what you've done in the past. The shame if someone found out what was in the past. And what we can realize, though, is God doesn't call you or me to live in that shame. As I was getting dressed this morning, I grabbed red pants, and it made me actually think of the Scarlet Letter. Does anybody remember that book? Is it still required reading? I don't know. Back in history, when someone sinned, there was shame. And it was attached to them as that scarlet letter A, as an adulterer. Jesus doesn't call us to go and wear red pants any time that we've, we've sinned. He, he doesn't call us to, to wear that sin on our sleeve because none of these sins that would be there, that A that would be there, none of those define who you are or who I am as a child of God. And, and those who are renewed in Christ have that taken away because it was Jesus who took upon that shame on himself, carrying the marks to prove it. He doesn't ask you to wear the A. He doesn't ask you to wear the something that says unfaithfulness because he has the faithful wounds that show off that he paid for everything. He paid for it all. And so then we work our life living in the way that he lived for us. And, and we read that, oh, I don't have it here. Um, in John chapter 15, uh, verses 12 and 13, my commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus was willing to go through that hard thing, that sacrificial thing for the sake of his love for you and me. And so, therefore, we too, by the power of the Holy Spirit, must be willing to go through that hard thing of ripping sin out of our life because of our sacrificial love and our immense love that we have for our spouse and our future spouse and the person at the other end of the screen. It's that power of his sacrificial love that gives us the power to, to be willing to figuratively cut out our eye or, or slice off our hand, mirroring that, that beautiful, sacrificial love as Christ. And as we, we, we work to rip those things out of our life, mirroring, mirroring that love means doing more than just ripping those things out of our life, actually. It, it means, means doing the hard thing, like having a conversation with your kids. <laughs> I think that's I haven't done it yet, and that's one of the things that I, I know it's hard. It's, 
it's this thing we need to talk about what true love is and what sacrificial love is to, to our children. Having those uncomfortable conversations. Mirroring the love not only means that, but mirroring God's sacrificial love in us also means that, that we're going to be, be driven to prayer. That, that we as, as parents or as grandparents or uncles or aunts or cousins or whoever you are would be driven to prayer for your nieces and nephews and children and grandchildren. That, that they may, may not be entrapped or ensnared, that they may never go through what some people do by being abducted and forced into something that they don't want. We can pray for them that they would not learn what love looks like by what they see on TV, but what they experience through the family of God and the relationships and marriages within the congregation that they're a part of. Ones where they see people married for 60 plus years, devoted in a covenantal love towards one another. As, as they see Young people married within just a couple years continue to pursue one another and care for one another sacrificially. As they see that, they will, will know what true love is. And they will desire it for their own life. Mirroring this love as a kid means that you, you could pray for your parents. You could pray for, for their marriage that their marriage be, be one that be of faithfully covenantal, sacrificial love towards one another, that nothing would cause them to be separated. Mirroring this love is difficult, it's hard, it's uncomfortable. But it even goes beyond those things that strictly affect us and who we are and in, in our marriages or our future marriages or who we are as people. Because we're supposed to detest all of these things, we, we then should work forth a path of justice that these areas in our nation would be righted. That the devalued image of God would, would once again be valued in each and every person. And, and maybe we do that by just putting content filters on our internet and, and putting it on church as well. Or, or maybe it's a better way, that's a good way too, but uh, another way is by partnering with organizations. Two organizations I think about that are right here in West Mich Michigan are uh, One Saved International and Women at Risk International. Both of those organizations whose desire it is to see human trafficking stop. Both those organizations that work to, to help those creating protective boundaries around people, but then also embracing those who had been living in those situations, doing things they didn't want to do, bringing them back, showing them the love of Christ, and then guiding them in aftercare, that they may be reunited in society, that, that trust would some way be restored in their life. 
my hope that we can join together and, and do the hard thing. Whether that's the, the cutting off of our hand figuratively or, or the gouging out of our eye figuratively. Or, or whether it's taking that step after that and, and it's, it's working with organizations. I, uh, my prayer is that we do the hard thing. Because there should be really nothing more that we want than for others to experience that sacrificial love where we're willing to give up of ourselves for the benefit of others, just like, just like Jesus did for you and for me. Let us pray together. Lord, we thank you for, for your sacrificial love, a love that didn't stop when you knew it would hurt, a love that endured pain and shame, a love that, so to speak, held you on the cross. You could have gotten down by a command, but instead it was love that held you there, your love for us. By the power of your spirit, increase that love in our life that we would do the same, that we would desire to, to live in ways that honor you by ripping out sin in our life, but that we would also live in sacrificial ways by by pursuing justice here in this world for those who are oppressed and those who are hurt by the causes of adultery and pornography. It's in Christ's name that we pray.